You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, here we sit a day late owing to the holiday as well as numerous health concerns Yeah, on the uh, Coming Event podcast adjacent family members. Yes. Both your kids were sick yesterday. I had a kid sick. According to the social media, your wife's been sick in bed. That's right. Without My kids were not sick yesterday. My wife was sick in bed. The kids were off school because of Memorial Day. So you got to do something with them. And uh, my wife could not even get out of bed, so I had to take care of them. You know what you do when the kids are sick? Or, I mean, when the wife is sick, the kids are home from school. You got to entertain them during the afternoon. You know what you do? You take them to the indoor soccer arena here in Missoula, Montana, which... Once my daughter was telling me how much she loved the indoor soccer arena, when I tried to get to the question of why, she answered, you can just freak out there, which is true. That is true. You can just freak out there. So that's what we did. We went over there and freaked out. Also, mentioned this on Twitter, saw a toddler, I'm going to say two-year-old boy, walking around in a t-shirt that said, my mom is out of your league. Yeah. Now, he didn't choose that shirt. How do you know? He, he does not have any purchasing power. True. Also... I'm familiar with what a two-year-old is like when it comes time to get dressed. They don't typically exercise a whole lot of agency in picking out their own clothes. Especially not when it concerns the editorial sloganeering yes. on the actual clothes. So, if his mom didn't exactly buy the shirt herself, she must have chosen it that morning <laughs> to put on that child. His mom was there. I saw his mom. Okay? I gotta say... She's not out of a whole lot of people's leagues. Wow. Well, that cuts to the bone. I'm just saying. What if dad she picked invites, it out? She what inv- if the dad picked out the shirt as like a uh, a compliment to his beautiful wife, who he loves so much? But then it suggests that like the thing he really wants you to know about his wife is that you couldn't date her. Which, all right, I guess, sure. And he uses his two-year-old son to deliver this message, this very important message. You couldn't date her, not because she's married to him, but because she's too good for you. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I hope you couldn't date her at this point. Well, and the thing is, okay, she could be out of my league in a lot of different ways. That's fine. I, I was able to just, you know, get a visual read, and I don't feel like that's the operation she's running. Shallow. Very shallow. So then I go to the next question, which is, what is the only thing I know about her? That she has her kid in this shirt. So I have two pieces of information, and they both seem to suggest that the shirt is a fucking lie. She's probably over there uh, just in her mind brain doing astrophysics. Yeah, that must have been it. You wouldn't be able to hang with that. Yeah. She's out of your league, Mm -hmm. according to the toddler. She walked by me and it smelled like the cosmetics counter at the mall. Okay, now you're painting a picture. You know, yeah. You get it. I know you get it. She sounds out of your league to me. Out of your league. I'm out of your league. How about that? How you like that? You couldn't date me. Uh, Well, okay. Things have turned... Inside of five minutes, things yeah. have gotten very strange we're, uh, here. We're going to have ourselves a time today, I feel. It's a Tuesday podcast. It is, yeah. like that. All bets are off. It's not exactly an ain't shit going on week. There is some shit going on. 
You got uh, UFC Fight Night 153 coming to us live from the Ericsson Globe in Stockholm, Sweden. Main evented by Alexander Gustafsson versus Anthony Smith. But it's not a whole lot of shit. It's not a whole lot of shit going on. Well, not necessarily events-wise, maybe. But there's some shit going on in the MMA ether. Suffice to say, we decided to go all questions considered on this week's episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. We thought it would work out better than our normal three-round formula, our normal three-round uh, format. So you guys send us in some messages, some emails. We're great, as always, over there from comainevent.com. We got a list of them. We're going to try to work our way through as many as we can in the next hour and change. Before we do that, though, remember, if you want to support the show, Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes and Dundasso T-shirts are available on demand all the time, whenever you want them, over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. I almost said Dundasso Cigarettes. You just gave me a great idea. Competing brand. Yeah. I'm going to business against Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts. Put Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes out of business. I'm thinking there's some growth industries we could get into. Cigarettes, uh, opioids. Yeah. We could make some opioids. CBD oils. We don't, I don't even really know what it is, but I feel like maybe it's time for us to find out. At least two of those are actual growth industries. Cigarettes, I'm not so sure. Maybe. Maybe it's still a growth industry. Not. Uh, we'd have to check in with the tobacco industry, with big tobacco. We just need to find a way to sell them to children. That's the that's the key, I feel. First question this week comes to us from California Pete. Okay. Good to hear from California Pete. California. Sound like an old prospector. That's right. There in the hills. Ambled down from the hills for his monthly bath and to write us this uh, message. I'm not complaining about a tall man fight between Gustafson and Nice Guy Smith, but are we, are we officially just doing shit now to fill holes in the UFC schedule? Especially to fill a hole the week before a pay-per-view so we can all watch those sweet, sweet UFC 238 ads this weekend during UFC Stockholm after we already paid for ESPN+. Plus. You know Ben is hot about that. Mm-hmm. Please read my question on the air and then talk about it the way you guys do. I don't hate this fight, but I do understand California Pete's point. Yeah. And somebody was asking me before in the Twitter mailbag a couple weeks ago, like, what are we really doing with these guys? Because John Jones seems intent on holding it down at light heavyweight for a while. Does not seem that interested in going up to heavyweight. And if that's the case, if John Jones stays champion, doesn't have a freak out, stays in that division, do guys like Gustafson and Anthony Smith have no real path back to a title just because... The fights weren't terribly competitive. Nobody's dying to see another one in either one of those. Do they have to just hang on and wait for the carousel to come around again? Like, wait for John Jones to beat absolutely everybody and then get to the point where the UFC's like, well, all right, we'll start back at the back of the line again and we'll just work our way through over again. Is that what the best case scenario is for them here? Well, the trouble is most pointed for Alexander Gustafson, is it not? Because he's lost... Uh, to John Jones a couple of times. He's lost to Daniel Cormier. He's kind of out of options here, which is a shame considering how good he is. He's probably the you know third or fourth best light heavyweight in the world, and he just can't crack through into the top spot because the, the guys who hold those championships are just so dominant. So Alexander Gustafson is a guy who, who I'm not totally sure has a lot of great options here. And I don't know that fighting uh, Anthony Smith is a great option, really, because if you're Alexander Gustafson, your only option really is to beat Anthony Smith and try to appear dominant. Like that's the only thing you can do to not lose some political capital in this fight. Like even if the fight comes off as being extremely competitive, I think people will walk away being like, well, maybe Alexander Gustafson is not quite the guy that we thought he was. Maybe he's not quite as good 
as we thought he was. Meanwhile, Anthony Smith, probably not going to get another crack at the light heavyweight title, but at the same time, he's got stuff going on. Like, he's got this bubbling feud with Luke Rockhold. Those guys can't stop talking shit about each other, no matter who else they're fighting or what else is going on. They're always going to get a couple digs in at each other whenever they have some media time. So, win, lose, or draw against Alexander Gustafson, I think Anthony Smith can turn around and cash in on that fight. Uh, And at the same time, Alexander, or I'm sorry, Anthony Smith's tenure at light heavyweight has been somewhat shorter. There's still a lot of guys floating around where they could have a fun fight with Anthony Smith, even though we don't necessarily think he's like the best 205 pounder in the world. We will still watch him. One thing that I'm interested uh, about this card, though, is as California Pete wonders, does the UFC have it figured out now that it has to run a fight night the week before its pay-per-view so that it can it can basically to advertise the pay-per-view is this essentially a springboard card into ufc 238 also on espn plus well that used to be the model on spike tv remember that it was and there the machine worked really efficiently because it was not only did they use a like wednesday night spike tv spike tv fight night thing either the wednesday before a saturday night pay-per-view or like the week before a saturday night pay-per-view and just drill it into your heads. Here comes a big pay-per-view you're going to want to pay attention to. But also, they did a really good job of fighters showing up on Spike TV cards and then kind of graduating to pay-per-views. So we got you to know who they were when the Mm -hmm. product was free, and then you cared about them, you were invested, and there was just a lot less going on in general. So it was easier to keep track of, and then you cared enough to buy the pay-per-view when they showed up on that. This might be an attempt to get that same model going. Also, it's you owe ESPN a whole lot of fight cards on both TV and ESPN Plus, so you gotta fill that that calendar. And also doing the thing the UFC loves to do: going to Sweden, going to the awesome weirdo-looking Ericsson Globe Arena. Well, all right, Alexander Gustafsson's got a fight on that it's in Sweden. We're also gonna get the the bricklayer Alir Latifi. Uh, get guys. Like uh, Macwan Amir, Amir Khani, guys like that, you know, D- Daniel Teamer, all those guys are going to fill the card. And it's like several different aspects of the UFC model coming together here. But I, I don't hate this. I mean, this is a pretty fun fight card yeah. for ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, it's going to be all right. Yeah. And it's going to be a good fight just, I think, competitively, physically, Gustafson versus Anthony Smith. Yeah, there's no uh, tail of the tape on the poster. I would expect that they would, you know, they would put the... Uh, Basically, like we're going through the door at the convenience store, and there would be like the. Uh, <laughs> in like case the, you rob it, the yeah, little, so yeah. They, the guy can tell the police approximately how tall you are as you go out the door. Your tall man fight. Yeah, like it's a California tall man Pete. fight. I would expect that they would note that Gustafson is like six foot four and Anthony Smith is like six foot three. Drop the ball on the poster, is all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, who do you think wins this one? I mean, probably Alexander Gustafson, right? If we are to pres- preserve the status quo at 205, I base that on. Nothing other than what we already think we know about this division. Anthony Smith is a tough dude. Obviously, uh, he went out there and uh, went the distance with John Jones at UFC 235. Uh, he's looked good at light heavyweight against guys like Vulcan Uzdemir and, and uh, Shogun Hua. But at the same time, like I don't know that we have any reason to believe that he is swinging around with the real elite fighters in this in this division. Man, if he won, I wouldn't be that surprised. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, well. I, you made me a believer, Mr. Smith. Gus isn't talking about how if he doesn't beat Anthony Smith, might be time to hang it up if you can't beat this guy. Which, a lot of people are saying that, and I would advise them to perhaps check themselves. You don't want to be writing checks that your career can't cash. It's kind of the same thing Luke, Luke Rockhold is saying. He said that, uh, what did he say, Anthony Smith was not, not a 
compelling character or not like a, he's talking about him like he's in a soap opera. He's not a uh, he's not a real character at 205, so I don't know. Maybe if you're Alexander Gustafson, you go out there and you finish Anthony Smith, then you can be like, well, John Jones went to a decision with this guy. I put him away. You got to, right? If you're Alexander Gustafson, like you, you need to win, not only win this fight, but also look good and maybe do, do some highlight reel stuff. Otherwise, I don't know what we're doing this for. Next question this week comes to us from Dustin House. He writes, CME capital G guy fight alert. Secret of the ooze versus the bricklayer. Discourse if you dare. This is one that puts team, team CME kind of against it itself here. Volkan Ozdemir versus Alir Latifi, the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 153. You feel conflicted about this one? You I mean, feel like you can't decide who is your capital G guy here? We all, we all want good things for the bricklayer, right? That's what I'm saying, man. Like, I mean, sure. Volkan Ozdemir is nice, but he's not yeah. out here riding a horse on the beach with his shirt off. No, he's Let's not. Be honest. He does not have just the sheer style of a bricklayer, Alir Latifi type guy. And... You know, he's a fun guy to have around in the division. I like his no-time gimmick. I like him knocking people out, pointing to the place on his wrist where a watch might normally be if he were not in a professional cage fight at that very moment. But uh, there's something about Alir Latifi. Maybe it's his constant underdog status. I, I, I just want to see good things for the bricklayer. Volkan Uzumir comes in on the heels of three straight losses, albeit... Daniel Cormier, Anthony Smith, and then the up-and-comer Dominic Reyes, but this seems like one he needs to win. Whereas Latifi, he was on a nice little roll there, two fights in a row, wins over Tyson Pedro and Ovin St. Prue before he got decisioned by Beeson 25-8 overtime, Corey Anderson. So, see, I like his consistency. Because he's going to come in, he's going to lose one, he's going to win a couple, he's going to lose one, he's going to win a few, he's going to lose one, going to win a few. He lost one, now he's on pace to win a few. Consistent. So you're saying Stone Cold Lead Pipe Lock, Alir Latifi wins his fight, and then the next one after that. He was, he's, he's, he's due. He's yes. due to win a couple fights. Yes. I, I absolutely guarantee it. You should put all the money you have in savings down on Alir Latifi. Right, Plus you're... 100 odds. I, that is on behalf of the CME. If this fails, uh, Chad will let you live in one of his many rooms. Is that true? Yeah. You got you to come live in my house? Uh, people will. People will come live at your house. Some some people will. They, next question. They is, better be comfortable with weapons. Next question this week comes to us from Emil, Emil Peterson. He writes, Ben and Chad, Chad and Ben, can you guys give some insight what kind of people fighters are? Are many of them a little bit off? It's something I heard Rashad Evans say in an interview. I also heard Dustin Poirier say that he himself is the right amount of crazy as a comment uh, to his success as a fighter. And then I remember Dean Thomas, who seems like one of the more easygoing guys in the business on the JRE podcast, saying that as a young man, he had done some kind of pretty brutal, violent crime. I thought of Boss Rutten going from all-around happy guy to advocating some extreme things when it comes to policies? What extreme things is Boss Rutten advocating? I don't know what extreme policies. I mean, I don't have a hard time believing it, I guess, but... And tagged onto the Rumble Johnson, BJ Penn type cases seems to be a lot of them. So what is up with fighters? Are many of them a little bit off? Uh, Is that what makes a fighter or is it just an old school thing from before MMA got mainstream and only brawlers were attracted to being a fighter? Uh, You know what? By and large, well, the mixed martial arts community is super diverse. It is. Like you're going to, if you start talking to fighters, uh, you're going to meet a lot of different kinds of people. And frankly, I think it's one of the things that's interesting about the sport is that not only are there a lot of different kinds of people out there, there's a lot of people just approaching the sport 
very differently. There are people who have approaches that work for them that are just vastly different than the approaches that someone else might be taking. Uh, my experience has been that MMA fighters are mostly pretty nice and like uh, good to talk to, honest, articulate. Uh, I think there's a lot of really good people in the sport. As we've said before on the podcast, plane lands safety safely is not a news story. So if you got someone who's out there being a good person and just going about their business as an MMA fighter, guess what? They don't wind up in the news like a Rumble Johnson or a BJ Penn might wind up in the news. All that said, oh, here we go. There is a quality that I would ascribe to, to many MMA fighters. And it's not that they are going to be violent in the streets, but you start talking to them, and if you talk to them long enough, you're like, okay, I'm starting to identify some intangible part of your personality that makes you amenable to fighting another human being inside a cage. And I don't know what exactly it is, but you start talking to, to fighters and pretty soon you'll be like, okay, there is like a sort of like thrill-seeking or devil-may-care attitude about this person, and some of them appear to like not totally imagine the future as a real thing. It's just sort of like, well, here's what I'm doing today and 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 this is going to work out for me. But at the same time, like by and large, my interactions with MMA fighters, very positive. Yes. I would say the exception to the rule are the guys who are out there causing trouble. Uh, they're just, they're just sucking up all the headlines because that's news. Yeah. I think though you're right that you have to have something a little bit different about you, even though it is true. Like, not only is the pool of MMA fighters diverse just um, compared to each other, they're really diverse for any one pro sport. As you think about just all the different places and backgrounds fighters can come from, like, you know, a, a guy like singing and dancing Jack Hermanson is going to have a very different background from, like, Kyoji Horiguchi, who's going to have a different background uh, from Rumble Johnson is going to have a different, you know, like they come from all over the place right. and find their way into the sport through different avenues. Whereas if you talk about like what are American football players like, uh, they're not exactly all the same kind of guy, but they might be one of like eight different types of guys. Right. One and thing, they're almost certainly American. So yeah. like that already makes them more likely to be, to fit into a certain kind of mold and fighters are different that way. But also I think a lot about something that Greg Jackson said once that, uh, fighters, like the world of fighting, whether it's MMA, boxing, whatever, it tends to be a gathering of misfits because it's the people who kind of didn't fit in in some other area of society or some other area of sports, and they found their way here for one reason or another. And I think I mean, there is often a background of some kind of trauma, like a difficult childhood, something that will make you seek out, like, I need to learn and become acquainted acquainted with an expert at violence like that is a real need for me greg jackson talks about that like when his growing up like he felt like it wasn't like i saw karate kid and thought it'd be cool to learn to fight i needed to learn to fight and i think that there there is that for a whole lot of people and i feel like maybe they were or felt like they were too extreme in some ways didn't fit in in other places i know brian stan has talked about that like where he felt like you know, on the high school football team, he was too too intense for yeah. people. Went to a place where he thought everybody else was intense, like the Naval Academy. Still too intense for some people. And I think that that's a common thing among some fighters, where like they're whatever they're doing, they're pretty intense and obsessive about it. And I think also, lastly, maybe there's an element of exhibitionism that you have to have to want to be a pro fighter, because there is something really different 
about, you know, it's one thing, you're on a team, you're on a baseball team, you guys are going to go out here, you're going to play a game, you know, people are going to watch and everything, and as you get better and rise up through the ranks, more and more people will watch, but you're playing a game out there, you know, it's a summertime afternoon game. You're getting in a ring or a cage and fighting, and the lights are just on you and one other guy. Everybody kind of stops what they're doing, sits out there in the dark, and watches you. Yeah. And you have to enjoy that. Because if that's a if that is an obstacle for you, then that's going to hold you back a little bit. Like, you have to enjoy that aspect of, like, it's go time and all eyes are on you. Yeah, I agree. Next question comes from Austin Shippey, who writes, Donald Cerrone, Tony Ferguson is being billed as, quote, the people's main event. I appreciate the UFC's honesty in this. How about we join them and admit that come June 8th, 60 plus dollars is going to be for one fight and baby, it ain't for the gold. So did the UFC really do this? They yeah, really? they put out a video that calls us the people's main event, which I thought if I was Ariel Hawani, yeah, it's a little gimmick infringement. I would sue these people for gimmick infringement. Yeah. I wonder how he feels about that. Well, basically co-opting his, his, uh, his tagline here. I don't know. When you work for ESPN, maybe you don't want to get into a fight with the, uh, promotion that broadcasts on your platform. Maybe you just have to let them take your gimmick and shut up about it. So it's kind of rough. UFC 238, which is June 8th. Uh, a week from Saturday, has two title fights on it. Women's flyweight title, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I, and then the vacant men's bantamweight championship, Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Moraes. We will get more in-depth into talking about this card on next week's co-main event. But yeah, man, Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone, which it's not even the co-main because you got those two titles fights up there at the top. It's right in the middle of the pay-per-view main card. Third fight in after Ty Tuivasa versus Blago Ivanov and Jimmy Rivera versus Peter Yan. Uh, but this is the one a lot of people are waiting for because this is the one where you look at the stylistic matchup between these two guys and frankly the personalities involved and you think this is madness. These guys are going to make a crazy fight that is going to be one you don't want to miss. The only thing I don't like about it being here on this card in this position is you only get three rounds of it this way. If it were a main event on some UFC on ESPN Plus card, you get five rounds, which I feel like this is one you're going to want five rounds out of. Yeah, it's possible depending on how it goes. I mean, we're not sure exactly what has been going on with Tony Ferguson, but both of these guys are the kind of fighters where you think they might just be getting warmed up after 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. Would you say that on this fight car, which is pretty good, honestly, like Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Moraes, I want to see that fight. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's going to be a hell of a fight also and, and also a compelling a matchup of styles between two guys. And for Henry Cejudo, I just wonder if it feels weird that he has already beaten the bantamweight champion and now he must go up to bantamweight and fight for the vacant bantamweight title because the bantamweight champion that you already beat had to give up the title because he cheated in the fight where you beat him. <laughs> yes. He was doing JPD, too. That's right. Just plain doping. Just plain doping. Yeah, the only real, like, clearly, like, this fight card is set up to have a bunch of bangers on it. Tui Vasa versus uh, Ivanov is going to be an exciting fight. Rivera versus Jan is just going to be a hard-nosed, gritty uh, slugfest. Ferguson versus Cerrone is going to be crazy. Like, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I is the only one where I look at it and I think... Eh, okay, I will watch it, but it seems like we had to scrape together some competition for Shevchenko because we didn't have anybody else for her to fight. It seems honestly like the appeal of that one is Jessica I's been talking a lot of mess about what she wants. Now she's going to get it, and we're going to find out if she still wants it. Have you seen the odds on that one? I have not. You want to guess? You want to guess what the odds look like? Is Valentina Shevchenko a 3-1 to one favorite? Bro. I assume that since you asked me if I had seen the odds that it must be longer than that. 13 to 1, what I'm looking at right what? now. What? Get the fuck out Minus of here. 1,300. Jessica I, if you had 20 bucks you never wanted to see again, Chad, 
you can get a bet down on Jessica I right now at plus 900. It's nine okay. to one. Let me see if I can talk myself into that. <laughs> the hard part is that Jessica I is not going to beat Valentina Shevchenko with one strike. And she's not going to beat her. She doesn't seem like she's going to catch a crazy submission. So either you think that she is going to catch a crazy submission or you think she's going to outpoint Valentina Shevchenko over five rounds. And Shevchenko fights at such a high pace that uh, like that may, might just might, might not ha- be possible. So, I mean, I guess if you literally never want to see it again, you might take a flyer. But still, that's... It's hard for me to talk myself into that. Okay, how about if you start with this kernel and see if you can grow this into something that'll allow you to put the money down. Let's say the the video of her hitting the bag was sped up. Let's say I could 100% guarantee you it was sped up footage. Do you feel better about it now? No. I mean, sometimes, I I mean, Valentina Shevchenko is so talented that sometimes it can be frustrating to watch her because sometimes you feel like she could be doing more. And so if you're Jessica I, I guess you... Hope that you show up on a night where Valentina Shevchenko gets kind of caught watching and you can go out there and outwork her. But I don't know, man. I don't know that I see that happening. Yeah. Next question is we comes to us from Devin Scott who writes, It seems like the UFC handles their contracts like a jilted lover at times. Big Pretty Justin Willis and Elias Theodoro got their walking papers this week but for different reasons. The UFC is mad at Justin Willis for not agreeing to fight when the UFC wants him to. And Elias Theodoro got kicked to the curb after going 3-1 and because, well, they're not into him anymore. I'm guessing Justin Willis will be back in the UFC's arms much like Yair Rodriguez. However, I'm guessing Elias Theodoro's fighting style is not favored by the UFC. UFC. What's your take on these fighter situations and the historical context on how the UFC manages contracts to get what they want and or make others fear their spot on the roster? So we did, Ben, see a lot of uh, roster moves, eye-catching roster moves from the UFC this past week. On Friday's Power Hour, we talked a little bit about the sudden departure of Picasso, the big pretty Justin Willis, uh, and that was before we even knew about Theodoro getting let loose from the UFC. And they do seem like somewhat different uh, situations, Elias Theodoro kind of reminds me of Gerald Harris. Remember Gerald yeah. Harris like had a big UFC win streak and then lost one and they cut him basically because he was he was a ground and pound wrestler. They didn't think he was all that exciting. But it seems weird to me to cut Theodoro because that was a dude that at least had some personality and like a presence on the scene. Maybe he wasn't the most exciting fighter out there, but like he was a guy some people knew, which yeah. if you're the UFC... It's kind of all you can hope for right now in a lot of ways. Right. It's also weird because, uh, granted, that was not a good fight by him. The performance against Derek Brunson. He, a lot of the stuff he was doing in that fight, you're just like, are you, are, do you think that this is actually going to work or are you just doing something to be doing something right now? And that was a frustrating aspect of his style at times. But that one, if you're going to tell me, hey, no one cares about watching this guy and that's why we cut him. It was the co-main event. Yeah. Of that event. So if you're telling me nobody cares about him over like a long term, that means you put a guy who you thought nobody cared about seeing and nobody wanted to watch fight in the co-main event. Why did you do that? Like you put him there because you thought either it was the best available fight you had for that spot or people know about the guy, people care about the guy and that it'll bring some eyeballs in there. And so to go from that, like he loses one and be like, okay, that's it. We've had it with this guy. Because obviously, you look at who he's beaten, he can still beat some people in the UFC. There are going to be people left on the roster after that that are not as good of fighters as Elias Theodoro is. And it's always weird to me if what you're saying is, we don't like this guy's style, and so we cut him. Because then you're kind of really putting your thumb on the scale as the UFC yeah. in telling 
people how to fight. Like yeah. you're not necessarily going out there and being like, stand and bang only, please. Like this is the only style we want. We want everybody to be Justin Gaethje. But you also, if you're telling people and showing them with your actions, this is who we don't want. You're going to affect how other people think they need to fight. Right. And it's always a tricky thing to me when you're saying to people, all right, if you lose too much, we'll cut you. And not only, like, you'll suffer a lot of consequences for losing. You'll lose half your money, basically, if you don't win the fight. So winning is super important. But also, if you go out there and you fight like winning is the only thing that matters, and you don't take some risks and put on an exciting show, then we'll also cut you. Because those two things don't go together. Like, if you want people to take risks then you got to incentivize that a little more yeah. or at least not disincentivize it. Yeah, it's a little bit weird that these guys hit the streets like in the course of one week along with uh, Wilson Hayes and some other guys. Also, did you notice Dmitry Smolyakov got his walking yeah, papers? Yeah, well, that's shocking. Didn't uh, start out. They're not getting in the Dmitry Smolyakov business after all. Huh. I thought it was going to be a long tenure. Turned out, no. <laughs> yeah, how about that? What a shock. Almost like they brought him in to do one job. Yeah, and he did it. Quite literally, in the parlance of professional wrestling, do one job. He did the job. Do you think they got him like a cake? Do you think there was a going away party at that the, the UFC PI? Do you think they were like, thank you for your days of service? Uh, I think, uh, how did you find out he got cut? I saw it on a list with the, the rest of these guys. Yeah, I think that's out. how he found out. Okay. They That'd be my guess. They notified the, him when they took him out of the USA. The Justin pool. Willis thing seems like a different thing, though. It does, but it's, isn't it weird that the Willis thing and the Theodora thing happen so close together? Yeah, because well, I mean, it they, does, they tend to do that, right? Like some kind of roster purges. Right, but this one seems more like maybe there is a little flex going on here from the UFC. Yeah. And two different kinds of flex. Remind everybody who's in charge. The thing that seems weird to me about the Justin Willis thing is... A report comes out, says Justin Willis has been cut, confirmed with a UFC official in the TSN report. And Justin Willis says, no, I'm not cut. It's a miscommunication. And which might seem like a ridiculous statement if we hadn't seen something similar happen with Yair Rodriguez. Like, at the very least, it should be a black and white issue. Is he cut or is he not? Like, that should be easy to answer. And the fact that it's not tells you uh, this is a different kind of sport. Yeah, it seems to happen a lot, honestly, yeah. that people have to find out from third parties that they're no longer with the organization, or at least that their uh, independent contractor contract is either not being renewed or has been canceled. Next question this week comes to us from Sean Clark. With UFC 238 fast approaching with nary a buzz of the main and co-main event bout, I thought to ponder the following query. Is there any incentive for UFC to tier pay-per-views above their standard shows, given that they have a 500000 uh, buy rate contractually guaranteed by ESPN. That means the they get a licensing fee from ESPN that is the amount of money, the general amount of money that they would get for a pay-per-view that had sold half a million. In the old system, when they had to sell it through. Under the old system. Well, I don't actually see evidence that pay-per-views are diluting at a rate any faster than standard programming. Why wouldn't they over time? Now, this is an interesting question. And maybe it gets to the heart of what is going to be the UFC's uh, booking philosophy moving forward in terms of how it balances events that are going to be on ESPN Network, ESPN Plus, and then pay-per-views. Uh, let's not forget, before we go too far into this conversation, that right now, the only audience affected by all of this ESPN Plus stuff is in America. Worldwide, if I'm not mistaken, you're still dealing with a traditional pay-per-view model. Well, less so because they weren't doing traditional pay-per-view in a lot of places beforehand because they're watching it at like three o'clock in the morning or something. So a lot of places were basically fight pass is a really good deal for them now because a lot of that stuff 
In some places, you buy a fight pass and you get damn near everything right there. So, yeah. so it's it's different. But like, if you look at like Canada, for them it hasn't changed. Right. And those are the two major markets. Right. I don't. I in mean, part because you can't make the other people pay for paper. They won't do it. I think that the honest answer here is that the the deal just hasn't been in operation long enough for us to see how it affects pay per views because we've only had a few and you know, none of them have necessarily been blockbuster style pay-per-views and maybe that will become the norm. But at the same time, man, even if you're getting that money, I feel like you need to maintain the appearance of having different tiers of programming. If you're the UFC, it would just be weird not to, especially if you're going to be asking people to pay extra money for like the so-called tentpole events or pay-per-view events or whatever, you still need to make those ones shine a little brighter than the other ones. Also, we got to factor in whatever input ESPN gets on some of this because they're paying you a licensing fee up front. You've got this relationship with them. Right. You want it to maintain a, a good working relationship because you're at the very beginning of it right now. And everybody seems super happy and super best friends the way they often are at the beginning of a UFC broadcast relationship. But also, if ESPN looks at it and thinks that what you're doing is you're diluting the quality of the pay-per-view cards because now you don't have to worry about selling them, well, ESPN would like to sell them. Yeah, they're not giving you that money for nothing. Right, so they might lean on you a little bit and be like, put some better stuff on this pay-per-view. I think one thing that might happen, and maybe it was already happening before, but we might trend a little bit more in that direction, is I think the UFC sees that there is... Not so much of a middle class anymore when it comes to UFC pay-per-views. There's the baseline level that you're going to sell to the hardcores, and then there's the huge knockout home runs that you're going to sell where you have like the, you know, Conor McGregor selling millions of pay-per-view buys kind of thing. I think the UFC might be inclined to look at it and be like, all right, well, this one is one of the hardcore ones. So we'll put those kind of fights on it. And then when we see an opportunity to really knock it out of the ballpark, we'll be like, okay. This is one where we'll put a whole bunch of good stuff on it and we'll really go for it on this. I think that they might look at it and just be like, trying to hit doubles doesn't really work anymore. Either either it's a single or it's a home run. Next question this week comes to us from Cameron Chapman who writes, did we ever confirm that Sean O'Connolly actually got paid a million dollars by winning the PFL? Because if he did, and I'm Mark Diakisi. Mark Diakisi? Diakisi? You know the guy. Yeah. You can picture him. Picture him in my brain. There's zero chance I'm re-signing with the UFC. I'd go over there and smash those guys for $1 million. Like Lando Venata could win that thing using only spinning shit. <laughs> if there's a million on the line, why wouldn't any guy in the top 10 to 15 of the UFC weight class bounce and go for that cash? What am I missing? Now, Sean O'Connell said he did get paid. He said he did. He said if he hadn't got paid, we would have heard about it. Yes. He would have been yeah. out here long and loudly proclaiming that he hadn't got paid. And, then, and it seemed like he got paid right away. Like he won the season one of the PFL and, and he got his money. It sounds like it was a done deal. Well, also, if you're doing this stuff in the jurisdictions of state athletic commissions in the United States, you can't really just do that. Right. Like you, you have to show that you have the money and that it's going to be paid out. Like they're the ones who are going to control the payout. That's why they can withhold the money if you do something like jump out the cage and go rampaging through the crowd. So I don't think it's as easy as, I mean, if you were doing a, a Super Hulk tournament in Japan, yeah, they can hold on to your money. That could be an issue. But yeah, it's not that easy. So yeah, I think he, he, he said he got the money. I believe he got the money. Let's talk about the allure of this one million bucks, though, because I feel like this is actually 
uh, something that could affect people's decision making. I saw last week over on MMA Junkie, there was a, st- a headline that said, so-and-so explains why he chose PFL over Dana White's contender series. And I was like, was it the million bucks? <laughs> Is that what it was? If I read this story, am I going to open this story? And it's just going to say it was the million bucks. Except Dana White contender series, you might make 10 grand, you might win your fight, and then you got to sit around in the break room kitchen of the Ultimate Fighter gym or whatever and wait for somebody to come in there and tell you whether Dana White liked you enough. Yeah. Uh, Sitting there with like the, the coffee sweeteners. And then you got a guy like Lance Palmer who won the last season of PFL. He's back to win another million bucks. He's, he's, he's back to d- double his money. So I do think that this is a thing that will be attractive to fighters. And the only thing I would say is that I think you will have a lot of people who stay in the UFC because of uh, the exposure and because they all think they're about to be the next champ. And if you are the next champ, then you get paid more money. And if you were going to ask these questions about any guy in the top 10 to 15 and why they wouldn't just bounce out of the UFC, well, you also have the contract. You can't just bounce out of the UFC whenever you want. Right. Or I assume more people probably would. Yeah, you especially can't be like, oh, there's a new PFL season coming up. Let me time that so that I can get out of my contract in time for that. Plus, there is the fact that you got to fight through this season, the regular season, with its weird point system, and then try to get into the the knockout rounds of the, the playoffs, essentially, in order to win that million bucks. So it's not like you... I don't think there's a whole lot of people being like... Oh, it's easy. I'd just go over there and run through all these guys. Because right. <laughs> there are some tough fighters. Plus, depending on the weight class you're in, you're, you might, especially if you're under 185 pounds or something, you know you're basically going to have to beat three guys with a Magomed in their name who are all managed by Ali Abdelaziz in a somewhat suspicious fashion. And that's going to be a tough run. Yeah, It's not just a given that you're going to go over there, spin your way to, to do a million dollar victory in the end. Still, if I was a young guy, I would definitely give it a look. Yeah. Yeah, why Might not? as well take a shot. Next question this week comes to us from Oscar Eagle, who writes, I have this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that we will still be here a year from now, and Tony Ferguson still hasn't fought for the real lightweight belt. Some things just aren't meant to be. Is it only me? Well, I mean, the first thing you got to do is beat Donald Cerrone. You got to take care okay. of that piece of business before we can even start. Not an easy night of work. Talking about the rest of it. And especially not right now, man. Uh, Donald Cerrone's won three in a row. Mike Perry, Alexander Hernandez, and Al Iaquinta. And he has looked good doing it. Almost like uh, he figured out a secret. A cheat code after he lost to Leon Edwards. And he watched the DVD of The Secret? <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. Uh no, I mean, he had a had a baby. He's now he's dad Cerrone and cannot be touched. Yeah, I guess. Just fighting to put food on that table. I guess that's what it is. But Tony, so Tony Once Ferguson. On that body. Who is coming back. He's returning to the octagon after some highly publicized personal upheaval. he got to beat Donald Cerrone, first of all. But if he manages to do that, all right, let's say for either of these guys, either Cerrone or Tony Ferguson, like the title picture at 155 pounds is not... Set in stone, you still, we think, got to have that unification fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier. You got Conor McGregor aggressively online, breaking his hand or whatever he did in sparring. Uh, But he's kind of like the elephant in the room. He could step out of the shadows at any moment and take your opportunity if if that's the way the the dice roll. And according to his manager, what Nurmagomedov wants is George St. Pierre at the end of the year. So if that happened, like... Yeah, you might be waiting for a while. I don't think that the concerns are outlandish. 
that the winner of the Tony Ferguson Don Cerrone fight has a long wait in front of him. Do you think that regardless of who it is, will he have to fight at least one more time? Or will he end up fighting at least one more time before getting a title shot? Um, Imagine it goes the way Nurmagomedov says he, or his manager says he wants it to. Imagine he beats Dustin Poirier in September, then fights George St. Pierre, who has said, you know, the one thing he would consider coming back for was Nurmagomedov. So imagine if they make that happen, end of the year, and then he's just got two pretty good paydays, especially the second one. It's going to be a really good payday. He's not necessarily going to be like, all right, let's go down the list now at lightweight. What's the next tough fight you got for me? Yeah, because by then, maybe Conor McGregor has fought somebody and gotten a win, and maybe he can justify making that fight again. And... If this fight, you know, you're looking at this one happening in June, you don't want to sit around until next spring just hoping that Nurmagomedov calls your name when you need him to. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think that the person who wins this fight probably does need to fight again, especially if it plays out that way. And maybe the best case scenario, if you are Tony Ferguson or Donald Cerrone, is to be the guy who fights Conor McGregor. Because if Conor McGregor does come back, which we think he's going to, and he says he wants to, then he's got to fight somebody. And if they're not going to serve him up like a crowd pleaser against Justin Gaethje or something like that, you got to think that it's going to be somebody in the hunt for that 155-pound title. Or it's just going to be Nate Diaz again. Or it could be Nate Diaz again. He he is returning. Uh, and frankly, did you see the hype video that the UFC put out about Nate Diaz? Like the, uh, the sizzle reel, basically? No. They put out like a, hey, Nate Diaz is back and remember how awesome he is uh, sizzle reel. And it was awesome. I watched it and I was like, I am at this point now actually hyped that Nate Diaz might return. It seems like maybe lately the UFC's putting a little more effort into those, does it not? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and maybe uh, maybe ESPN has a hand in that. Maybe they're they're uh, either lending a little help or making making a little bit of some demands about what happens there. Uh, but you want to be that guy, like we talked about, like the the, the, the Cerrone McGregor fight seemed like it was going to be a done deal until they fell out over where it would be on the card and how much everybody was going to get paid. So uh, I think if you're Donald Cerrone and you win this fight, that's probably the move is to once again say either the title or McGregor is next. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Eamon Dumphy, I believe is the Irish radio personality. Well, good to hear from him. Broadcast personality who writes in. So basically a peer of ours. A peer of ours, yes. With the recent change in how the UFC get paid for pay-per-view and other uh, little changes such as the newly designed belts, wouldn't it be a good time to do a little spring cleaning on the organization's uh, divisional setup? I'd be happy to see 125 officially cut, 165 and 225 introduced, and rejig 170 to 175. Whoa, you lost me at 225. Come you on. lost me at cutting flyweight, man. There's no reason to do that. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they've already made up their minds to do that. Do you think if uh, Henry Suda wins this next weekend that they're going to do that? It just seems to be where we're headed. And honestly, the moment you trade away Demetrius Johnson is, to me, the moment you gave up on it. Yeah. Because he, you know, he loses one fight and you're like, all right, screw it. We're done with it. I mean, he still might be the best in the world at that weight. And when you say, like, oh, we're just not interested in having that guy around, that, to me, was when you decided, like, we're done with this division. Because yeah. there's no other reason you'd let the best fighter in that division go. But 225... Who would even be in that? Well, you're right that you are splitting the two shallowest divisions yes. in mixed martial arts into three divisions, which 
could be problematic in how it's going to work out. Or it could be a way for the bricklayer to finally win a UFC title. <laughs> maybe, maybe. The only case that I can make for it, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it is a good case, is that it might give you a better opportunity to see light heavyweights and heavyweights essentially fight each other, which you could do at heavyweight, but maybe if you had a, like a contractual, an actual agreement to meet at 225, then you think the lighter guys might feel better. John Jones and Cain Velasquez, yeah. that type of matchup. Like I think that's a good example. Like the, maybe that matchup becomes more possible if you can meet in the middle. And a whole lot of other garbage becomes possible that is just mid-card filler. Well, that's the thing. If you have 225, you essentially like recreate the problem that you have at women's featherweight. You have a division with nobody in it. And maybe some people will, will want to, like I said, meet in the middle at the same time. I don't know, man. The rest yeah. of these changes, like 165 and 175. Well, we, everybody who listens to the show knows we're on board with the 165. The 165, son. We're all about that. And then if you do that, it just makes sense to bump 170 up to 175. Next question this week comes from Brett Lobsey. Who writes, I assume that's a hockey player. Sounds like a hockey player to my ear. I have concluded that it is mostly the insane quick turnarounds which fighters take that gives me decreased stimuli. Not naming names, e.g. the Panther, Sergio Moraes, your boy Eric Anders, even Anthony Smith, who has been asking for some time off since three fights ago. These quick turnarounds uh, breed bad fights. Guys are unable to peak. They don't seem hungry for victory. They seem to be simply looking for or personally capitalistic society, uh, personifying capitalistic society, a quick payday. This is short-sightedness. It hurts their careers and their brains. And the spectator's overall interest uh, is what's going on. We get there's, I mean, this is... (laughs) Having a hard time? Well, it's just the punctuation here is different. Okay. There's a lot of ellipses in this. All right. Because it's off the top of... He's thinking his way through it, I think. Um, Five fights in two years is the tried and true GSP method. Exceptions to the rule, cowboy and anyone else finishing someone in round one. Fighters, see, here, this is what it says. Fighters, dot, dot, be patient in all caps, dot, dot. Get some things going outside of MMA competition in these periods away from the cage. Thoughts? Well, I think for a lot of guys in the rank and file of the UFC, they would say their problem is the opposite that they can't get enough fights. Yeah. Especially if you're not making that much money per fight and you want to stay busy because you want to stay in the public eye. You want you don't want people to forget about you. I think a lot of I've heard that from a lot of managers basically as I'm saying like okay, the UFC can contractually offer you a fight once every 6 months, but if they do that, a lot of these guys are not going to really be able to make a living and they're not feeling like they're getting anywhere in the prime years of their career. It's one thing to look at a guy like GSP and be like, okay, five fights in two years. Like when he was champion, and there are just there are a smaller list of people who it makes sense for you to fight. But for the guys kind of coming up, they need to a chance to fight more often in order to just make their case, I think. Yeah, and I think it's, again, it maybe comes back to how much fighters get paid. Like right. a lot of these people are trying to make as much money as they can during the short window of their athletic career. And so if you offer them an increased payday or even the chance to uh, win a fight and thereby increase their footing in the company and get paid better in the aftermath of that, like they're probably going to take it sometimes out of financial necessity. So I think it's not just a matter of people taking quick turnarounds. It's a matter of uh, 
people want to get paid and they want that money and maybe they don't make enough as it is. They kind of are forced to take as many fights as they can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that that is all part of it. But I also think I have heard fighters though say it's hard to really gain too many new skills. If you're just going from fight camp to fight camp. Yeah. Like you're just trying to get in shape, get the weight off and peak in time. You're not, have, you don't have the time to really just add new tools to the game. Next question comes from Todd Twomey, who writes, What do you think Joe Silva thinks about the handling of Brazilians Johnny Walker and Michelle Pereira? You know him. Is he pulling his hair out that they're not matched up with D1 wrestlers? <laughs> Man, Joe Silva looking up from like an annotated copy of Moby Dick <laughs> in a mahogany chair in his like dressing gown basically going oh who now you said who i don't i'm not familiar with these people i don't i don't follow this anymore we have talked at length on the show about the ufc's struggles with like making new stars and getting the audience to uh not only identify but also accept like up-and-coming fighters as pay-per-view draws or as people that they should keep track of but do you think that there has been a shift in the matchmaking since the departure of joe silva that makes it uh, that like leans into the idea of building up a guy like Johnny Walker or now Michelle Pereira. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe that every once in a while the USC looks at some of these people and says, all right, let's craft a strategy a little bit. But I think that that is not as easy to do as people think it is. I, I think you can do it in some divisions. Like I think light heavyweight maybe is a good example of a division where you can do it. And some of the other really competitive divisions especially where they're really competitive all the way through, like something like lightweight. I don't know if you you can make those decisions as easily and just be like, okay, here's a fight he'll win and look good doing, and then we'll follow it with a, a slightly different fight he'll win and look good doing. I just don't think that that's as easy to accomplish. Plus, you know how it happens. You might have in mind for this guy, all right, we're going to have him fight this guy who really plays into his style. I'm predicting spinning back fist KO followed by a failed backflip celebration where he'll injure his cervical vertebra. But then the guy he's supposed to fight gets hurt, pulls out, gets sick, something like that. Then you got to find a replacement. And then you're in a situation where you got to take who you can get. You can't just cancel that fight. You can't just be like, all right, you put time into a training camp, Johnny Walker, but... We don't want to put you up against somebody who might take you down and elbow you in the face, so we're just going to call it off for now. Yeah, I think that that's what the UFC matchmakers, at least, would tell you that they ran into a lot was, we're just trying to keep the machine moving. We don't really have the luxury of picking the spots quite so predictably. Next question this week comes from Tracy Dickinson, who writes, Is there anything at all positive that we can say about what Ali Abdelaziz is doing? No. Issuing a long, negative, and fairly immature rant to, Cow- oh, to Connor's post, Ari, his fight with Habib, doing Habib absolutely no favors with Luke Thomas's questions about Habib's association with Chechen dictator Ramzan Kadrov, having an extremely juvenile exchange with El Kakui, complete with emojis. Can we honestly say that he's doing any of his fighters any good with the shit talking that he's doing? I say we just lock him in a room somewhere for a while with no access to Twitter and no more interviews for the foreseeable future. I think it'd be in his fighters' best interest if he didn't do any quote-unquote promotion for them and let them handle things on their own for a while. If we heard about Greg Jackson or Faraz Zahabi doing any of this, we'd think they'd lost their freaking minds. Just curious about your thoughts on this approach and exchanges recently. Also, on a completely separate note, uh, the Merlin Bird ID app is the shit. Yeah, it is. Thanks for helping to bring it into my life. Yeah, I don't 
see there's anything positive you can say about what he's doing right now. Yeah. I mean, he's getting himself in the news a lot. If I were one of these fighters, I wouldn't be worried so much about is he making it a problem to be associated with him through all this bad press. I would just be like, who is he really promoting? So he seems like he's promoting himself. He doesn't seem like he's doing a whole lot for me. I mean, maybe you could argue, hey, he manages to keep this relationship going with the UFC where he gets a lot of good spots for his fighters. If I were some of his fighters, I'd be wondering, what else is he doing? That What is he giving the UFC that the UFC wants to keep giving him advantageous decisions like that? But that stuff, especially with Luke Thomas, where he's talking about the Chechen stuff, yeah. that is some disgusting just thinking the way he's approaching that right there where he's just like, Hey, I don't know if there's a gay purge going on in Chechnya. Uh, I don't see it with my own eyes. Therefore it doesn't exist. I don't believe anything the media says like that is some just straight up doing business with Hitler and telling myself that it's all good because I have not personally seen him kill any Jewish people. Like that is, you know, maybe not on the same scale, but that's the same type of thinking that you're employing there. Yeah, you can't really say that you don't believe in something if you haven't seen it with your own eyes. I don't understand how that would work. It would seem to that you would not believe a lot of things. <laughs> the Grand Canyon, for example, which I have not seen with my own eyes. How do I know that it's there? Well, I mean, we're like, it's just it's obviously an extreme self-serving example, thinking, but, right? Yeah, you're you're you're. You yeah, it's self-serving thinking, and you you're kind of like trending in the direction of flat earthing. Like, yeah, I've not been to outer space to make sure that the world is round. How would I know? Well, and you're saying I am personally benefiting from a willful ignorance on this topic, and therefore I will do anything necessary to maintain my will. I will not try to find out if it's true. I I probably could find out if it's true. I could do a little research into it, but I'm going to adamantly resist finding out if he is doing any of these things just so I can keep benefiting from this relationship. And yeah, I mean, you're not doing anybody any favors uh, who is one of your fighters when that is the thing that you are known for. Yeah, and from the outside... Also look- picking fights in the buffet line. That's right. <laughs> from the outside looking in, there are a lot of stuff that makes you cringe and makes you like wonder what is what exactly is going on over there and i guess i would the only addendum i would add to it is that the people who are who his, are his fighters like the people that he represents really seem to like him a lot like you saw ray ray borg on twitter this a week or two ago being like nobody in the world has done as much for me as ali abdelaziz so like whatever is happening and however it may be disturbing from the outside. The people who are inside the tent are into it for whatever reason. And it's not like these dudes couldn't go find other representation because they all could. They're all guys that uh, other managers would probably jump at having and they stay there. What's the reason? I don't know. But like they are feel that their needs are being met. Yeah. And I mean, that's how this like food chain just kind of keeps trickling down right everybody being like well i don't care about this guy because he's taking care of me yeah and then the people he's taking care of they don't care about uh his ethical issues because he's taking care of them stuff like that and everybody's just kind of looking out for themselves and resisting finding out anything about anything that might make them feel weird about that Next question this week comes to us from Don Ames, who writes, so the UFC is going public while its parent company is, uh, but you get what I mean. Is this a grab to try and make ground on that $4 million or $4 billion investment? Is there any validity in doing this to make the sport seem more real, or is this just some weird side hustle that will continue to see the UFC be a bit of a stepchild 
uh, to the four big sports. Please discord if you will. Uh, I honestly don't think that the decision to take Endeavor public has much to do with the UFC. No, I it don't seems think like they have the UFC bigger, had much say in it either. It seems like they have bigger concerns than just the UFC, although uh, their financial disclosures did make it seem like they are making a lot of money out of their sports holdings and that the majority of that money did come from the UFC. I just think that uh, the UFC is a pretty... I mean, it's probably a significant part of Endeavor's holdings, but it's not the only part of its holdings. And I think Endeavor is thinking much bigger than that. I don't necessarily think that going public has anything at all to do with the UFC. Okay, first of all, it is a given, I can assume, that we will use some CME Patreon money to buy stock in Endeavor. Hostile takeover. Just as a a project. Just so we can keep an eye on it day to day, a weekly stock report. Yeah, we need to get a seat at the shareholders table. That's right. We, I mean, we got some money in the bank account. I think we got to do this. There's no way the CME needs an ownership share. Us and Guy Fieri. I'm going to go ahead and put you in charge of that. You're okay. going to be in charge of uh, monitoring our financial portfolio. Yeah. And then we can, we can update everybody. And uh, next thing you know, we roll up into the board meeting with a couple of Dundasso t-shirts on and be like, guess what? We own a controlling stake. Bird apps for everybody. Things are going to change around here. Everybody gets a bird identification app. Next question this week comes to us from Ben Seam. He writes, I am married with two kids and work full-time and college part-time. I've been watching all cable UFC and Bellator main cards and prelims religiously for years. I even used to watch the early UFC prelims on Facebook. I don't buy pay-per-views except maybe once a year or two uh, for a special one. However, I have purchased several monthly fight pass subscriptions through the years to catch up on all the pay-per-view main cards. Now that's my boring backstory. I'm really annoyed that I can't watch any fights now on the expensive as fuck cable package I need for my sports desires and kids cartoon needs. I've not bought ESPN plus or DAZN yet. So I've fallen behind on watching any fights this year, except the few on regular ESPN. I still listen every week to your pod as well as Luke Thomas's MMA beat, but it's weird without watching the corresponding fights each year each week is this weird and i was just wondering is it sustainable i've been thinking that i've had plenty to fill the void with the hoops and all the netflix amazon game of thrones etc should this worry the mma promotions or am i the outlier uh that they don't give a fuck about i don't think you're the outlier and i think that it is or should be worrying and and i don't necessarily know that it is sustainable if a large portion of the uh of the consuming population just decides that they are done I'm curious why not buy the ESPN Plus app, though. Because it's pretty... It's not that expensive. Like, five bucks a month? Yeah. And you... Just as far as keeping up with what's going on and getting to watch the fights, and as we said before, they do a pretty good job of... You can go in there on Sunday morning, and they're like, here's last night's main event. Here's the main card. Right. It makes it pretty easy to watch. Plus, if you are interested in other sports and stuff, they have other sports stuff on there. Like, I would actually, like, the DAZN one, I get it. Like, there's not enough on DAZN where if you're not a shitting wild person that it would be worth it for you to buy. But, I don't know. If you're a general sports fan and you also want to keep up with what's going on with the UFC, I think the ESPN Plus is actually worth it. Yeah, I've had a pretty good experience with it. And I do agree that even if you don't watch the fights live, they make it pretty easy to circle back and catch up with them afterward aside from the fact that it makes me re-register my device every single time i try to watch it which i think is really weird i've never had that experience with any other uh streaming apps before uh and it doesn't always work to do that like sometimes i tend to spend 15 minutes fucking around trying to just get it to know who i am 
Uh, but other than that, like I feel like the thing works pretty well. And the fact that it works as slickly as it does just on your phone is also like kind of cool because like you can sub Rosa watch some fights wherever you are, which I also think is 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 a cool thing about ESPN Plus. And you're right, like it doesn't really cost that much money. However, I think that there is like kind of a there's a subscription fatigue at this yeah. point, isn't there? From you from MMA fans, just because the last handful of years, the half last half dozen years have been all about how much more money can we give to the UFC. Right. It's kind of like every year there's some new thing that you gotta do to watch to if you want to watch all of the programming. And I wouldn't really blame MMA fans at this point if they were like, you know what? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going and I'm not getting another thing. I'm just saying. Like this weekend, for instance, where you got Lusty Gusty up there against Anthony Smith. It's over there in Sweden, right? The main card starts at 11 a.m. here in the One Drew time zone on ESPN+. That means you could very easily, if you're living the kind of lifestyle you and I are living, and that it sounds like our uh, our friend uh, Ben Seum here is living, is that maybe you find yourself at a kid's birthday party on a Saturday afternoon. You. You're not doing anything. It's boring as hell. Your options are either talk to other dads who you aren't actually friends with and the only thing you have in common is that you both live in this town and have kids around the same age and they want to talk about like trail bike running, riding stuff and you're like, this is boring as shit. Let me go over here in the corner, sit down, pull out my phone and see if Gustafson Smith has started yet. Yeah. Hell yeah, that is worth five bucks a month to me. Talk right. to you about fucking trail bike riding. Get the fuck out of here. Perhaps the last question of the week here from Brandon Boyd. After aggressive expansion, the UFC has decided to build a performance institute in Missoula. Oh, nice. You've been tasked with choosing five pieces of UFC history and placing them in a time capsule that will be secured inside the cornerstone of the building. What are your choices? A time capsule in the cornerstone of the building. It's not where I thought we were going with this pieces question. Pieces of UFC history. Okay. Um... Wow. First of all, can we get the Shopco building out there on reserve? I feel like that they're going out of business. It's going to be a good spot for us. Okay. Um, Hoist Gracie's Gi. See, I was going to say Tia Tuli's Tooth. Where's that at? Can we find that? Did someone pick that up and they have it in a baggie? They've been carrying it around since UFC 1? A baggie. Come on. Um, Hoist Gracie's Gi is a good choice. Yeah. Hoist Gracie's Gi. Brock Lesnar's Foot Cream. <laughs> Right? See, I don't feel like you're taking this seriously. Okay. <laughs> um, maybe well, you gotta have an awful shirt, an awful like oh, yeah, affliction shirt. Maybe yeah. the one you bought with the tin foil, or like like a Jesus didn't tap. Or like you gotta have something. I don't even think affliction is the way you want to go. I think you want to go like one of the minor players that like popped up out of nowhere, sponsored a few fighters for a ridiculous amount of money, and was gone in two years. I think that's you want one of those. Yeah. Okay. And just as just gaudy as hell. Like, let's put one of those in there. KTFO hat is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a good choice. Um. Like, how about a piece of the fender from John Jones's Bentley? There you go. Yeah. Can we get that. Or his weed stash. We just get his weed, his oh, weed and money gonna, stash. He's not just going to give you his Put weed and money stash. Capsule. A month later, he's That's, out there trying to dig up the time capsule. It's obviously very important to him. Maybe Chuck Liddell Iceman shorts. There you go. Or Tito Ortiz flame shorts. Flame shorts. Flame. Capture beauty. that era when people had like a signature look. 
and when everybody was sure we were on a rocket ship to the top. In the That's minute. right. We were all going to live forever, and it was, the Golden Gates were about to open for all of us. I mean, I think those are some pretty good choices. Well, then you got to get something from to capture something more from this current era. Yeah, and see, that's where it gets tough because who knows what captures this? We're era. too close to it right now. I mean, just get a pair of Reebok shorts and tell it that it's it could be anybody's. Yeah, fight kit in there. Uh huh. Put that in there. Gilbert, give me a Gilbert <laughs> Melendez, Melendez, uh, you know, walkout shirt and shorts combo, and we'll call it good. Can you imagine? If organized human society collapsed and then the future society of whatever it was, future archaeologists in trying to uncover. Uh, and the lizard society, the lizard people. Yeah, the lizard archaeologists who are going back and trying to discover things about humans. What if the only thing they found was our time capsule? What would, what would their ideas about our culture be? Well, I mean, maybe they'd be pretty close, honestly. They'd come away thinking Tito Ortiz was a lot more important than maybe he was. That's true. That's true. They worshipped demigods, the Iceman, and, and Tito Ortiz. The Huntington Beach bad boy. <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. It is Tuesday, so we will be back tomorrow to run the Wednesday live chat for all Patreon tiers who give their cash to the co-main event podcast. Uh, we'll be recording the last, second to last, I guess, episode of Road Agents, but the last episode where we discuss episodes of Deadwood leading up to uh, Friday's Deadwood movie. Uh, there will not be a power hour this week on Friday, but we will circle back and, and start again next week on our regular schedule. And that's going to be business is about to pick up. Because uh, you got UFC 238, and then you got Bellator, uh, Sonnen versus Machida, and Rory McDonald coming back to have his next fight in the welterweight tournament. Also, we should mention that while we won't be able to do a power hour this week due to... Uh, unavoidable circumstances we do have a plan to make that up uh it's a very interesting plan it's going to involve some extracurricular activities but i'm pretty hyped about it are you yeah i i also am hyped about how unhyped you seem about it it just seems like our current plan is it's mean-spirited almost no it's not well, it just well maybe depends. that's that's where you assume you're gonna go maybe you assume that you're about to be mean-spirited with it but i don't i don't agree also uh, Sonny Weathers knows one thing we didn't talk about. I think his comment here on the uh, the Patreon live stream just says Chad Dundas, the Faber maker. You predicted. Oh, that's true. Everybody comes back. Well, yeah, but I like it had been pretty clear that Uriah Faber was was circling the. He's coming back. Circling the the choice to come back. When he comes back and he seems excited about this matchup where they're like, hey, we want you to face a 26 year old guy who's on a really hot win streak, and he's going, oh yeah. That seems like a fight that they probably made because they see a big future in 40-year-old Uriah Faber. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I would ask if it's that guy from, from Dagestan. Is it Tim Nasty? That would be my first question. It's not Tim Nasty. But, no. I mean, Uriah Faber, he's like, he probably thinks he's going to, this is, he's going run, running back to the title. Right? That's what they all think. You know, if he is able to tell himself, I'm just coming back, I'm going to win a few fights, I'm going to make some money and just delay the inevitable a little longer okay but if you're telling yourself you're going to come back and you're going to make a run for that title then i'm worried simon who's he fighting here ricky simon ricky simon he's not bad yeah and it seems like the fight game thing where you take your 40 year old 
like re- formerly retired legend of the lighter weight classes and you put him up against a 26-year-old guy who's burning his way up the rankings, we all kind of see what you're thinking there. This is fight is in Sacramento. Saturday, yes. July 13th. So you and I will be at Sir Nigel's wedding. Uh, and this Watching is, it on the phone? Well, this is good. This is... Is this going to be on actual television? I don't know. I guess we have to figure that out. Anyway, we'll find out where to watch your eye favor fight this young kid. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. That looks like... Uh, yeah.